All right. Here we go. Quiet. Quiet. Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and put it all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online contributing editor, Natasha Bogutsky. And seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online editor-in-chief, Rich Drees. <laughs> Hi, how you doing, Rich? Wow, I'm feeling weird now. <laughs> really, really weird for some reason. He's single, ladies. Go and get it while you can. <laughs> Yeah, line forms here. Yeah, please. But thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> How are you? Uh, uh, <laughs> I got a little nervous today as I was looking through my letterbox and went, <laughs> "Shit, I watched a lot of movies last year. How do I pick anything?" Uh, well, we'll get into that in a second. But I haven't watched really anything this month. <laughs> I, I think I watched uh, two movies, uh, White Nights and um, Southbound on Hulu. And I've been like not in the mood really to watch a lot of movies. I know. I, I messaged you the other day about should I try to get, you know, uh, a virtual ticket for a Sundance screening that... I thought you would be interested in, and you were just kind of like, meh. And that kind of like was like, ooh. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just the post-holiday whatever, knowing that there really aren't any good movies that ever come out in January or and well, or beginning the, of February. A lot of the um, Oscar stuff goes wider. A lot of the Oscar bait films. Uh, yeah, but and what we, if you've already kind of seen them up, all? Yeah, we've kind of caught up with most of them, <laughs> That's to be my honest. point. Um, I'm actually... It, started re-watching Cranford. I probably haven't watched it since about 2012, 2013. Um, and I just, I got a new television in my bedroom. So <laughs> I was like, I want to watch something that I haven't seen in forever that I barely remember. And therefore, I might find the enjoyment in almost watching it for the first time again. Um, it, I mean, I was watching... Uh, killing eve and then mm -hmm. just got bored with that Should which be. is shocking to me because that's i know one of your favorite shows it is one of my but, favorite but shows. i can i sort of understand I memorized mean, yeah. that's the problem mm -hmm. and so i was I, i've actually been watching a lot of um plays on national theater at home mm -hmm. um i i Recently got the app and I just cast it to my television. And so I, I rewatched How to Gobbler. I caught up finally with Romeo and Juliet with uh, Josh O'Connor and Jesse Buckley, which was fantastic. <laughs> they cut it by about half. Really? Yeah. Then... Um, changed Lord Capulet to Lady Capulet. That's with uh, Tasman Grieg? Yes. Who, who She's it, fucking incredible it in boggles, this. I need to see that because it boggles my mind. The thing I know her most from is from the I, um, from Black's Books, the Dylan Moran series, mm -hmm. comedy series that yeah. ran for three seasons. And... She's wickedly funny in that. Oh, so, so she's she turns, a force to be. A, she's a, like Tilda Swinton in this. Ooh. She's a force to be reckoned Damn. with, and she says everything so calmly. You, you mm -hmm. know, when you're watching Romeo and Juliet, you're 
any version, ladies and gentlemen. So, like, let me use the Baz Luhrmann film, for example. We know... Shut up. You're doing this to me on purpose. No, actually, I'm not. We could have gone Zephyrin. <laughs> no, but this actually <laughs> makes more sense. It's more current. Um, people will remember it mm-hmm. better. Um, when Claire Danes' Juliet refuses to marry Paris... Which she refuses to marry Paul Rudd. Like what? Uh, <laughs> she might be the only person in history to say that. Um, Paul Sorvino gets violent with her, mm-hmm. physically violent, um, and so that's what I'm so used to seeing in all versions of Romeo and Juliet for that particular scene. Even stage versions I've seen um, here, they don't do that. They. It, Jesse, as Juliet, states her case of why she won't marry him. And there's a moment where, you know, Tamsin's just sitting on the bed playing the character of Lady and Lord Capulet. Um, and says, well, you, you seem reckoned to not marry, so I will pardon you. Jesse gives her a hug. And she says so calmly... but you won't stay under this house, you know, in the the Shakespearean formula. You know, graze, starve, die in the streets. It was just like, she says it in that tone, just Mm -hmm. so soft, and it's so cold, and it stings even worse than getting, (laughs) seeing someone get physical with her. Mm -hmm. It's just the indifference to her situation at all. Mm Mm-hmm. She's so good. She's the best. <laughs> Those two are the best part of the whole damn film. I do need to catch up with that. now. And even my... though it's a play, it is a movie. Mm-hmm. Because it is shot as a movie. It's shot cinematically. Yeah. It was shot Not over- just they're on a stage and they point some cameras. No, it's actually shot like like you're watching it in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing. Like When you think of like Hamilton, that's shot cinematically. Oh, well, yeah. But this- is a film okay and it's shot with they use the entirety of the theater like backstage is, and everything this is the thing they shot during covid yes okay. 17 oh, days seven. yeah okay yeah. okay okay yeah i remember you mentioning this to me um at some point probably not on mic about mm-hmm. that before and that just rang a bell now for me mm-hmm. um <laughs> i've watched 10 movies already this year and <laughs> we are barely into the uh barely through three weeks of the new year. So I'm on track with my three new movies a week. Yeah. Um, now, granted, some of these are because this is this weekend is the majority of the Sundance Film Festival. A lot of stuff being made available virtually. The whole festival is virtual. So everything's available to watch if you can get tickets. I did <laughs> not get accredited this year. So I was deciding. I reached out. I knew a couple of places I could get some screener links and... Um, I'm paying for a couple of films and those hopefully will be run. All those reviews will be running in a little bit on uh, film buff online, but, um, yeah, so I'm seeing it's, it seems weird that I'm already like diving into 2022 with films and we're just sitting down to record our um, favorites of 2021 episode. I, I apologize, ladies and gentlemen. That is my fault. <laughs> I'm in uh, the last three weeks of a rehearsal for a play, um, Michelle Paul Sautcher's The Flies. Mm-hmm. And I 
am pretty much rehearsing from seven o'clock until midnight every day of the week. Um, and so see, see, I was going to let you slide and just not even say why, but if you want to throw yourself under the bus, Hey, I'm throwing myself under the bus, but I'm being honest with our audience. And, um, and so, yes. And that is also another reason why I haven't really watched a lot of movies is Mm -hmm. because I'm getting home and I'm fucking exhausted. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) It is work, rehearsal, sleep, repeat. Um, <laughs> which feels like, you know, the, um, what was it? The edge of tomorrow's alternate, uh, tagline. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. All right. But let's, uh, well, before we dive right in, this is not a best of episode. Um, in the sense that, you know, we're not ranking like 10 to one and counting down. Um, mm-hmm. I know. I prepped for that. <laughs> <laughs> these are the these are at least the f- we're going to do like this in two halves. Five favorite movies that we each saw this year from 2021 and then five discoveries of older films that we we came across and was like I I didn't see this before and I really loved it and you know we'll kind of give those out as well to allow people to um, go and discover them. I'm going to be giving 10 on the discoveries <laughs> because um, he off mic, he was not so clear about that. And I chose five and five honorable mentions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. And also we will have honorable mentions at, in our uh, best of the year part, the first half here, as well as um, I'm going to know I'm going to throw out a couple of film titles that I didn't get to see that probably would have been in contention or within the conversation. And, mm. uh, you know, and this is what we've done last year and the year before, I think too. So do you want to start off with, uh, the first film for you? For, for which list? <laughs> for 2021. Um, well, I'm going to end up going, uh, from 10 to one uh, or, uh, no, five to one. Oh, five to one. Okay. Okay. G- you start and I'll try to figure out a way to put it into a numerical order. Uh, Caveat being my numerical order could very likely change 20 minutes from now. <laughs> oh, d- yeah, I yeah, know. Because that's how I am. But 20 minutes from now will be off mic. So yes. <laughs> okay, go. All right. So um, number 10, Annette. What? 10? Oh, I put I thought, that at 10. Oh, okay. So, oh, so it's technically it's part of your honorable mentions. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. Okay. Uh, I was from the say, end of the honorable mentions to the beginning. Oh, I was going to say, hold off the honorable mentions till the end. Yeah. So, okay. We're st- Do you want to just rattle through 10 through uh, through 6, and then we pick up the actual discussions with the 5? Yeah, that's okay. fine. Okay. Um, Your 10? Spoiler alert. I don't have – I didn't number from – I I was going to hold off all my honorable mentions till afterwards. But spoiler alert, Annette is within my top 5. Really? Yes. I really I loved it. I loved its surrealism that um, was actually pr- picked up and went wider through uh, Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Beautiful performances from Adam Driver, um, Marion Cotillard, and uh, Simon Helberg. Helberg, thank yes. you very much. No, no um, it, it's so rare that you see a film that is so surreal, mm-hmm. um, but kind of hits the mainstream in just the right way. True, and when we get to it in my list. I'm going to have something else to say about it, too. Okay. Ooh, little tease for 15 minutes from now. <laughs> okay. Uh, nine through six. 
Um, number nine, licorice pizza, the PTA film. Okay, that's that's in my um, my honorable mentions as well. Okay, um, I re- I really loved it. Fantastic performance by Cooper Hoffman, mm-hmm. um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, the, the late Philip Seymour Hoffman's uh, son. Keep an eye on him. I have a feeling within the next five yeah. years. That apple didn't within, fall far from the tree. Yeah. He's yes. going to freaking explode. Oh, God. I, I'm, he's I'm fantastic a, in this. I'm very excited to see that. And the Haim, uh, the Haim sisters, um, mm-hmm. Alana was, you know, for her first, also for her first role, incredibly enchanting. Incredibly um, real and natural. Yeah. And not very self-conscious in her performance at all. No. And I, I kind of love that mm-hmm. about her. Yeah. Um, number eight, Encanto. That, that's not on my honorable mentions, but it damn well should have been, honestly. <laughs> it's a fantastic film. I know we've talked about the music off mic. It's so catchy. <laughs> so catchy and so wonderful. And I probably would have gone back after that conversation earlier this week and thrown the movie <laughs> on in the background if I wasn't doing like 4,000 other things. <laughs> no, I, I thought it was a beautifully mm-hmm. done yes. film. And after... I, I saved all my animated films until like mm-hmm. the almost the end of the year to do play catch up with. Uh, so I watched on Disney Plus, I think I watched like four or five animated films in a row, Luca and Encanto being amongst them. Um, and I think Encanto is just a better story. It has nothing to do with the fact that it is also a musical. It's um, it's probably the best thing that Disney put out in terms of animation this year. Yes, uh, I, would I would agree. put Raya and the Last Dragon maybe a little bit behind. I it. didn't catch up with Raya. I caught up with Luca, this one, and uh, Incredibles two. Okay. I think there was something else, but well, I can't no, remember. Incredibles two was from. Yeah, but I mean, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. You're not much like of an animation in. person, so you were. Kind I, of like all in on animation for a few days. I do that I gonna, every year. I wasn't going to interrupt you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I do that every year. At one point, I will just sit down and like blaze through like four or five movies on Disney Plus that I've never seen. Mm-hmm. And it's just me just playing catch up. I got through 15 minutes of Onward and went, nope. Oh, <laughs> Shut yeah, up. Yeah, no. Onward. <laughs> it was not great. It, it, it was like one of the first Pixar duds in a long time since Cars. And Cars 2. I don't like the Cars movies, but, you know, that's partially me because I'm not a car person. So maybe I didn't get that, get the whole <laughs> thing. I was like, just, I was like, whatever. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I did go all the way through Onward and I think it's a fine film. It works um, it, in the story it's trying to tell, but it just mm-hmm. didn't, for lack of a better word, enchant me. <laughs> with its magic because I didn't but feel Encanto like... Encanto however enchanting <laughs> yes so next um what was I at seven uh Malcolm and Marie I oh. I thoroughly enjoyed the fact that this movie was shot during COVID with a skeleton crew with a cast of two people um for almost like two and a half hours in one location it is beautifully done I I, I absolutely, because it's the stage actor in me, I gravitate towards stories like this. And when you have such talent as um, John David Washington and Zendaya, mm-hmm. um, just captivating audiences. And it has fantastic peaks and valleys in the emotion. When, when you think the argument's over, it just gets crazier. And yeah, I love it. it. I don't want to say it's a stagey story or a stagey production, mm-hmm. but it feels very much like that could have been just translated and become a uh, two 
two-hander on stage. It does, but it's, it also feels but it also feels it's, incredibly real. That's mm-hmm. and I think that's uh one of the reasons why it kind of missed with a lot of people is because no one wants to think about coming home and having an argument with your partner. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true and um about you know those arguments where someone's going to blow up and then you need to take a little bit of a break mm-hmm. and then you might be able to talk naturally for a little while and then it, it escalates again. Oh yeah, yeah, those things have an <laughs> ebb and a flow to them. Yeah, and so. as did this film. Yes. Okay, that was your 7. That was 7. Okay, 6. Um 6 was Nightmare Alley, which I was considering putting higher on my list. Um, but there was just so much good content this year that uh, I had to put this at number six. Okay, that was also on my honorable mentions. I just clicked it off so I don't have to go through it again <laughs> a little bit. Um, but now, top five. Here we go. Let's. What's your number five? Uh, my number five is Spencer. Oh, okay. A great, uh, great film. Fantastic um, performance from. Uh, Kristen Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care what your thoughts of her are an actress because you've only seen Twilight. Um, <laughs> no, she she gives an Oscar worthy or at least an Oscar contention performance here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very internal. And I do love watching someone go through the internal struggle. True. Um, that it's and internal performances are very hard to get across on mm-hmm. on screen like that. And I think she did a wonderful job in that. So, yes. Now, this is going to sound so weird going from Spencer as your number five to my number five, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I knew that was going to be in your list, <laughs> which is why I purposely didn't put it in mine. No, that's okay. Um, <laughs> honestly, you know, Jason Reitman had a very tall order. And I, uh, I think he really did it. I mean, it's it's very it's a very personal film. It's it's an amazingly personal film, and it's a film about, oddly enough, death. Yeah, Ghostbusters. Yeah, um, <laughs> it, no, but it's a it's a film about death. It's about grieving. It's about um, abandonment. Abandonment. It's about. Um, reconnecting with your roots, forgiveness, all kind of wrapped up in a goofy Ghostbusters story. And honestly... It pulls everything off beautifully. Yes. And yeah, I cried. I cried when I saw it the first time. I cried the second time when we saw it together. I went back a third time and saw it and was a blubby wreck. I'm not surprised. And when I get the Blu-ray, I will probably... Actually, I'm going to hold off and... If I upgrade this year to um, 4K, to 4K, you know the traditional first first upgrade film is, is, Ghostbusters. is Ghostbusters. So I'll probably just buy like a three pack of all three movies, and that'll be my first 4K purchase. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll probably cry again. I don't I'm care. Sure. I don't care. People people knock it for being too nostalgic, and I have no problem with with that. What's wrong with nostalgia? If it's in purpose of a great story, which I thought this was. Yes, I I thought so as well. Um, I don't have any problem with the nostalgia of this movie um, because it takes it and does something fresh with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of almost like, yeah, it was, yeah, it was in a weird way. It was fan service. Um, 
Spider-Man. But also, it does something so new uh, with the material in terms of how it affects our main character, um, Tom Holland's Peter Parker. It beautifully um, fixes all the issues that all the previous Spider-Mans have had and goes to show that his particular Spider-Man is above killing mm-hmm. of any kind. And I I thoroughly enjoy that, that he has a moral code that we've not seen in a Marvel movie before. So um, I'm fine with nostalgia. Just <laughs> okay. do something original with it. That's True. all. True. Okay. And you're number four. French Dispatch. Oh, okay. <laughs> that is also an honorable mention of mine. Um, I thought it was a beautiful film, a vignette movie, uh, Mm -hmm. great story work, uh, great performances. Jeffrey Wright, standout in (laughs) in that. Uh, If he wasn't a regular before in the Wes Anderson universe, he should, as should Timothy Chalamet. Um, I think he's going to be in Asteroid City, which is going to be out late this year, or he's in the next one that they're just starting to shoot. I can't remember which Perfect. for Jeffrey Wright. But yeah, Jeffrey Wright's <laughs> voice, his style of delivery in this movie, he just melded right in with the uh, the usual ensemble that Anderson uh, employs here. That, and- that's the same how I felt with Timothy Chalamet mm-hmm. in, in the film. Um, he just effortlessly just disappears into the Wes Anderson aesthetic. (laughs) True. And um, speaking of aesthetics, Mm -hmm. my number four. Yes. Animated film. It's The Mitchells versus The Machines. I've heard you mention that before. This was a film, I believe it was Sony had it, and they sold it to Netflix early on in the pandemic. And Netflix brought it out... March of last year or so, and it's a great film. Lord and Miller are the executive producers on it, and they had a little hand in the storytelling as well. And it's basically – it's about a family on a cross-country vacation drive when alien robots attack. (laughs) (laughs) So so you have like, you know, the the mom, the dad, the the younger kid, the, you know, high school graduate daughter – and, you know, they're all like, ugh. You know, and dad's trying to be, hey, we're going on vacation. So you have those, you know. Very Chevy Chase. Yeah, kind of kind of <laughs> National Lampoon vacation uh, dynamics going on within the family a little bit. And then, you know, the alien invasion comes. And then they have to kind of, you know, learn to. It's it's just really well done. It's, it's really well done. There's some great action sequences in it that are hilarious <laughs> and fun. Some of the best animated action sequences outside of like a superhero-y kind of thing that I've seen in a long time. And hmm. it kind of got – because it was Netflix, you know, it blipped for like 48 hours and then fell off of everybody's radar. If this had been released in a theater, I think this would have had a really good theatrical run. And I'm hoping – It would have because animated films always uh, – t- or family films oh, always yeah. tend to do better at the box office mm-hmm. because – um Parents are not always keen to go to the movie theater when they have to figure out how to get a sitter. <laughs> but if they can take their kids to the movie with them, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. then they obviously go. Yeah. And um, I'm really hoping that uh, the Academy 
uh, doesn't forget this one, at least for a nomination, because that would help raise its profile a little bit, I think. I okay. would agree with you. And you're next. The Green Knight. Fantastic work from A24. And the performance that Dev Patel gives in this, um, I've actually not seen him on any lists in contention for best actor. And that is a fucking shame. It is. Because this is. movie um, not only deals with uh, the rules of being a knight itself and how his journey coincides with those rules, but it covers all four of your um, traditional writing styles, man versus man, man versus God, man versus nature, and man versus himself. It actually gets all four of them <laughs> into the story. I don't know how, but it does it so beautifully. It's interesting, I think, that the two movies this year that both dealt with masculinity mm -hmm. um, were both period pieces. This and um, The Last Duel. Yes. Um, that they both kind of cover that same territory. They're both, you know, set hundreds of years ago. And maybe we need that kind of remove to be able to examine those things to turn them into allegory that we can therefore fold back onto ourselves. And, and learn from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you could certainly set something in the modern day, like something like Fight Club or Falling Down. Um, but... I think with that remove, maybe people might be a little bit more open to um, to examining those issues. I, I don't know. I, I think Fight Club is more – is so – I mean, yeah, it was 20, 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago. But uh, it's still relatively modern mm -hmm. that people, particularly men um, – some catch the underlying theme of it and some don't and some hold it up on their shoulders as a pedestal to be worshipped. Yeah, it's the um, Archie Bunker syndrome. And it's kind of and scary. I think, yeah, I think we um, talked about that when we did the uh, the mm -hmm. retro review of that a while back. Yeah, but kind of using a period film, mm -hmm. you can dissociate from that a little bit and therefore analyze it as the film itself and not as a memory of a time period that you absolutely remember. True. True. Now, uh, my number three was Annette <laughs> and I paired it though. This is where I'm cheating. Slightly. Okay. Um, is it I, the sparks yeah, I, documentary? I, I paired it with the sparks <laughs> brothers documentary simply because <laughs> the sparks, uh, the band sparks did the music and basically created the entirety of Annette. And so if you're not familiar with sparks, say outside of like the 1980s hit they had with Jane Weedland called cool, uh, cool world or uh, um you know or one or two other songs that they you know had as hits on the radio then go and check them out check out the documentary because i think it you don't need to know the band to enjoy annette but these two things pair really well together and i'm not even sure i would recommend which one to watch first and which one to watch second if you were going to do it like as a double feature i'd probably watch the doc first because okay. then you'll understand that they actually show up at the beginning of the oh, yeah. of the yeah, movie you'll, yeah you'll you'll know who those people are in the recording studio and then they and 
and you'll you'll get an idea, I think, in the documentary of their weird, quirky sense of humor. Yeah. So and so, so you'll understand when that when you're watching opening, the opening song of Annette is called "Shall We Start," and it's basically the cast singing to the audience. Yeah. Breaking that fourth wall. But also, like the other main song in in the film is more of a theme that carries out through the movie. Um, we love each other so much, and I think you and I discussed mm-hmm. this when we talked about the movie and how it's almost a mon that they are saying not just to convince each other and convince the media but also to convince themselves and uh, i think if you watch the documentary you'll understand that style just a little bit more oh yeah yeah definitely okay um we're to your number two yes uh speaking of timothy chalamet uh-huh. okay <laughs> you know where i'm going Dune. Yes. Okay. Dune. That's also an honorable mention for me. Yes. Um, I, oh, wow. <laughs> wow. I can't say enough about this movie. It is stunning to look at. Very epic on like a a bibi- biblical epic scale. Um, and the performance is just a great ensemble cast that uh, Denny mm-hmm. Villeneuve put together. Um but I, I can't even, I can't, I can't, I can't even put it into words. It's just, it's, it's go watch Dune. Yes. If you haven't seen it and you've got the two and a half hours to spare, and I mean two and a half hours, as in do not shut it off. Do not pause. Just watch. Now, I just very recently rewatched the David Lynch version. Mm-hmm. Um, after seeing Dune two or three times, yeah. twice in the theater, and I think I watched it once on HBO Max. And um, the Lynch version, I still like things about the Lynch version. It has some good moments. But it it's very much the Cliff Notes version of the of the book. And I felt that way even when I saw that movie in high school when I was I was reading the book right as the movie came out. I watched it um, last not this past march but the march before no yeah it was this year yeah it was, it was this past year because I, I was home with covid at the time from work <laughs> um when i finally uh sat down and rewatched the lynch version which i hadn't seen since I was, uh, probably about six um it's it's beautiful film it's beautiful there's a lot of really great design mm-hmm. in there and stuff fantastic for, for the 80s it's mm-hmm. um, amazing but yeah it's really fucking short look, look, look how how little you get of duncan idaho in that movie mm-hmm. i was like you blink you miss him how many how many lines does virginia madsen have as empress erlon uh <laughs> two i think one or two and it's all right at the beginning where she comes in as the guild navigator is about to arrive in the throne room and she's like Father, father, Actually, and, he, and he brushes her off, and then she is a glorified prop through the rest of this movie. Yeah, o- outside outside of that intro that she does, that narration, yeah, intro. that narration at the beginning. But in the movie proper, speaking she's- of um, Virginia Madison, both versions of Candyman almost <laughs> made both of these lists, and both of them missed it by about this much. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, my number two. Um, and honestly, my number two and my number one are both foreign films. Okay. Okay. I think you, you're looking at me <laughs> like you think you know which one one of these is. 
And if you're thinking that it's Parallel Mothers, the new Pedro Almodarvar uh-huh. film with um, Penelope Cruz, you'd be right. That is my number two. <laughs> um, and um, these two, I've only seen a couple of their pairings. I think they've done like eight in the last 25 years. And they're always fantastic. This is an amazing film. And I honestly am thinking that Penelope Cruz is a better actor uh, when she's in her uh, Spanish language. Her, her native tongue, yeah. Yeah, than when she's speaking English. She does great work in English. Um, but this stuff is just next level. I would agree with you with the exception of – and I know people are still kind of pissy with Woody Allen uh, – with the <laughs> exception of Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Okay, okay, that's um, that's a that that might be her best English language performance. Yeah. Um, oh, I wanted to kind of as we were dropping through these, kind of mention where they are. Parallel Mothers, I don't think is hit video yet. Uh, Ghostbusters um, Afterlife is video on demand right now. No, and Mitchell's as is Netflix. Um, but but getting back to Parallel Mothers, it's a great story. It's a great character piece with her and um, the younger teenage mother who, you know, was giving birth around the same time that they were both in the hospital. They both shared a room and that's how they became friends. And then there's this other underlying story that kind of just bubbles up towards the end um, that kind of looks at uh, the aftermath of the uh, Spanish Civil War Mm -hmm. and the 40 years of dictatorship after that. I haven't really seen like a good movie about the Spanish Civil War, surprisingly, since um, Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that Pan's Labyrinth is kind of dealing with it allegorically, but this it, is, it still this deals is, with here. It. Yeah. They're dealing with it with um, the fact that you know, even though all of that is in its past, it's still kind of semi recent past, and there's a lot of people who. This is still a living memory for, and it's about a nation having to come to grips with all of that. And uh, it, it it really works well. I don't want to kind of get into it too much more than that, uh, but I would just say, you know, when you see it available on streaming, um, it's still out in theaters right now. Um, if you're looking for something a little bit more than just, you know uh, – Spider-Man or the 355 or an action film, if you're looking for a night out, something a little bit more that's going to make a you feel. A little more meaty, yeah. Yeah, make you feel, make you think. I would uh, definitely recommend that. Um, my number one okay. is a foreign film. Ooh. And uh, unlike Parallel Mothers, which will send you to the theater to see it, this one you can watch in the comfort of your own home on Hulu. And that is Mads Mikkelsen in uh, another round. <laughs> and I, uh, yes, as you, you, as you, you raise me, a you wine s- glass. You've seen me pick up this glass three times already, and I've been holding off until the end <laughs> yes. for this last sip, uh, <laughs> as it feels right to this movie. Mm-hmm. Another round is, takes place in Denmark, and it is uh, the story of four teachers, one one played by the great Mads Mikkelsen, um, kind of stuck, feeling stuck in um, in their life at home, at work, kind of lacking joy, lacking confidence. Um, and they come across a study from some doctor, I forget where, um, where they say, you know, 
person's blood alcohol content is uh, 0, 0.05 lower than it should be. So they decide to test that theory by drinking during the day and shutting off at 8 o'clock every night and no drinking on the weekend. Just to kind of see how it would affect their social life as well as their personal life. Um, and they slowly begin to gain confidence back and begin to feel looser and able to talk easier and feel them like themselves again. Um, and of course, they decide to take it a step higher um, to some disastrous events, but they learn from this situation. And it presents the idea of, yes, alcohol. And I, I, this is the problem with seeing things from an American point of view is we're very kind of puritanical about alcohol in general. It's, it's bad. It's a vice. You can turn, it can go to alcoholism. And yes, that's all true. If you abuse it, um, over in Europe, they start very young with alcohol, um, around, you know, 15, 16. And, you know, they, a little bit here, a little bit there is absolutely perfectly fine. And I think it teaches them not to abuse it as much. Um, and therefore it can be enjoyed as a pleasure. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a really, really great performance from Mads Mikkelsen in this. I think he gets underused in Hollywood as just your typical villain role. Um, here he just does so, so much subtle work, um, has his breakdown 10 minutes into the movie, which you usually expect to come in the third act <laughs> um, and grows from it. And that ending, the ending of the movie itself is fills you with so much emotion, so much joy. joy yes. I was that, <laughs> that I, I will on occasion just turn it on when I need a, a little bit of a pick me up. Um, but if you just decide to go ahead and watch the ending of this movie, you're not going to understand it. You need to see the movie all the mm -hmm. way through in order to truly feel the effects mm -hmm. of the ending itself. Um, it's on Hulu. If you have a chance, go see it. I am very picky about what movies I'm in the, adding to my shelf now because I just don't like buying physical copies as much anymore as I once did. Um, but this one, I went out of my way to track down and it was really hard to find. Um, but it is now sitting on my shelf and I'm very proud of it. Good. Uh, my, uh, best of the year top film, um, and certainly will be no matter how it continues to bubble around in my mind as in the days and years to come is always going to be top five for this year. It's called worst person in the world. It is, I saw it at the Philadelphia film festival. It's been doing the festival rounds. Um, I think it debuted last year at Sundance. Um, Sundance had like a kind of repeat screening of it earlier this weekend. Um, and it's basically four years in the life of a young uh, woman in her early twenties just trying to figure her shit out. <laughs> and that speaks to me. <laughs> yeah. The um the, the worst person in the world is not in reference to her. Uh, but there's something really great how the film kind of shifts moods like when she meets somebody new mm -hmm. and there's that first spark of energy and chemistry and of the romance. The film feels very light and on its feet and you can feel that energy. 
And when she's in a bad part of a relationship, that feels a little bit more depressive and oppressive. And you can feel that. And Mm -hmm. it shifts so effortlessly between all of these different things. And the the lead actress, uh, Renata uh, Rensevi, and I probably mispronounced that. Um, she, it's it's her first lead role, and she's wonderful. And um, I I can't say enough about this movie. There's a great sequence where, you know, she's kind of like just met this guy, and she's all like, ah, and very deliriously happy about it. Where she's walking through the streets of the city. Everybody is absolutely frozen still, and she's just obliviously walking along through there. And I thought that was such a beautiful image for that first energetic flush of a new romance that I was really, really taken with this movie when I saw it back in October. Uh, Neon picked it up just recently, and they'll be rolling it out, I think, next month. So all right, I'll yeah. I'll keep and my eyes open for it. I'm hoping that they're kind of going to give maybe um, the lead actress a bit of an Oscar push. Um, I mean, the uh, nominations come out on February 8th, and if they were planning on rolling that movie out in February and mm-hmm. they got the Oscar nom, that would be great timing for them. A lot of people be like, "Who is this person? Let's go see this movie." Yeah, and. Um, Hopefully that that works out. That way, you know, more people will see this thing. Um, okay, so that's our top five. All I right. want to kind of circle back here for a minute. Just kind of zip through my other honorable mentions that we didn't get to. Um, so Passing. Okay, Netflix, yeah. Which is on Netflix. Summer of Soul, the documentary about the uh, Harlem Music Festival in 1969. Ah, uh, yes. And I it, remember you telling me that's about on that. on Hulu. I strongly, strongly suggest... Uh, Summer. Getting that. Um, Shiva Baby. Yes, I remember you talking about that mm, when that's you were really also, it. That's on um, HBO Max. All right. Uh, let's see. Red Rocket, the new one from Sean Baker. Yes, you had great things to say yes. about that. Uh, the Beta Test. Um, no Time to Die. Almost made my list. <laughs> um, just missed it by yeah. that much. Um Basically, because they they do things all through the Craig Hare of the bon, of the Bond franchise, and end it in a way that really pays it all off. Pays it all off brilliantly and beautifully. Yeah. Thank um, you, Phoebe. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, Phoebe Waller Bridge doing a draft on the screenplay. Mwah. She's pretty much the one who created the uh, Anna de Armas character <laughs> that's in there. <laughs> Not that's, surprised. That's her. That's entirely her from what <laughs> I understand. Um, West Side Story. I didn't get to it. Oh. You know I, I didn't get I to know, it. I, I know, really I know, wanted I to. There, the mo- you know, a lot of people are talking about, like, it opens with this great shot of across the a couple of blocks of them tearing down the old slums on the um, – Upper West Side, where they're going to build Lincoln Center. Lincoln Center, yeah. And as and the camera even passes by, you know, a big sign that says "Home of Future Home of Lincoln Center," you know, cultural blah 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 blah. And what's funny about that is, though, in a way, because the original West Side Story film was shot in those actual I tenements remember, yeah. that they tore down, so. You're already seeing them tearing down the location used from the previous movie. <laughs> and I was sitting there in this film going. That's genius. Yeah, yeah it's, it's cool. It's, 
it's funny that they're doing that. And at the same time, I'm like, is Spielberg actually saying I'm tearing the old movie down no. for mine or not? I don't think that was on his mind, but no. I could see where it could be read that it, way. It can be read that way. But um, he says that West Side Story for him is the greatest musical uh, movie he's ever seen. And he had Sondheim sitting next to him for the majority of um, the, the this movie. So it it really does. Um, I don't think that is exactly what he was intending to okay. Okay. say. <laughs> um, but but it, that thought did cross my mind for a brief moment. I almost I was thinking I was like the, the thing the thematically way it looked to me recalled at the beginning of um triple x when <laughs> when they kill the british spy who's wearing a tuxedo because basically they're saying fuck james bond yeah fuck james bond <laughs> we're gonna be cooler than james bond james bond is your daddy's spy this is gonna be a different kind of spy movie and then it basically turns into a james bond movie uh, <laughs> um, but but i was thinking are or or at the beginning of Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, you open on a TV screen and then they put an axe right through it. <laughs> I, so I was thinking it was kind of like one of those. Well, with um, it, what I find really interesting about it is the shows that they usually perform at Lincoln Center are musicals uh, mainly from the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. uh, such as My Fair Lady, King and I. Um, and I, I'd be very interested that in maybe 10 to 15 years from now, they may be performing West Side Story in the building that they tore the goddamn slums down for <laughs> in order to mm-hmm. uh, to make the venue mm-hmm. that this story takes place around. I, I just I, I love the irony of that. <laughs> okay, and I have one last honorable mention, and you're gonna look at me like I've grown three heads and feathers. <laughs> you got to look on your face and like, I don't even know if I should be in this room for this. <laughs> I feel like I should be taking off my shoe and getting ready to use it as a flip-flop. <laughs> what is it? Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. <laughs> this was... <laughs> this was... One of the consistently funniest films of the year. It was so... You did it just for that one edit, didn't you? No, not just for that one edit. I'm talking the whole thing. It built its world. It's insane, weird, weird world. It's beautifully styled. It's beautifully photographed. It's very well edited. And not just for that one edit. That's a joke. <laughs> but um, it it's it's... it's total thing these characters are entirely realized and it's so wonderful anyways that was an honorable mention um oh and the few that i didn't get to see that i thought might have been in the conversation at some point zola mm-hmm. uh pig with nicholas cage yes. uh power of the dog didn't get to lost daughter i didn't get I to power bad. of the dog lost daughter or tragedy macbeth um same I, here tragedy I, macbeth titane and drive my car. I almost added Belfast in on here, but um, as beautifully done as Belfast is, I have a feeling that it will not have the staying power of some of these other movies in five to ten years. Yeah, it'll be forgotten if, about. Yeah, if we ha- if we were doing near misses, yeah, that would be it. But let's move on to discoveries because yes, we didn't watch not just- Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, we didn't watch just movies from 2021 this year. No, uh, um, we almost did. Both of us almost did 200 movies a piece. You did what? 190? 193. And I did, I think, 189 or 190. And 101 or 102 of them were 2001 films. So that still leaves 90 some films from before this past year that I watched. And I'm the other way around. But <laughs> that meant that this category, I had so much to choose from. And yes. I couldn't choose five. I chose 10. Okay. So let's do your. Six, uh, 10 through 6. All right. Uh, number 10 is 8.5. Uh, not the number. I mean, yes, the number, but um, uh, the Federico Fellini film, mm-hmm. um, which was fantastic. You know, I'm a big fan of the musical movie Nine, um, which I don't think gets enough love. But uh, it is about a director in the 1960s in Italy who is very. Um, talk about the biggest writer's block you've ever had. And so, and so he starts thinking about all the women in his life and how they kind of fit into a stereotype of, okay, this one's the wife, this one's the mistress, this one is almost like a mother figure, mm-hmm. this one is my mother, this <laughs> one is uh, a whore, it, the prostitute. It's, it's kind yeah. of all the women who have ever affected his life and how he can fix his own life because he's kind of stuck in the mentality of a child um, and kind of deciding, no, I'm going to grow out of this and grow into adulthood into maturity because I'm in my fucking fifties. But I thought it was a beautifully done movie. I know a lot of people like to hanker on Fellini films. If you sit through half of it, you still don't understand what it's about. But um, no, I I really, really enjoyed this one. Okay. Um, Number nine, Mm -hmm. dead again, Kenneth Branagh, Emma Thompson Mm -hmm. and Derek Jacoby. Um, it was it was just very interesting to see parallel lives, pretty much, um, of those two playing lovers in the 1940s and the effects that they have on those two playing lovers in current day, um, dealing with the idea of reincarnation, uh, dealing with the idea of fate, and pretty much giving the giant finger to all of it. And I really <laughs> loved it. Um, number eight, Freaks. The Alex Winter film? The yes. Oh, I love Freaks. <laughs> I know you do. Uh, Freaks was kind or freaked. of freaked. No, Freaks. Oh, oh no. Okay, I'm thinking of the Alex Winter comedy Freaked. No, oh, Freaks. Freaks. The um. Yes. Yeah, that's um. You love the, Freaks. Yeah, I love Freaks as well. And I'm blanking on the uh, the name of the director. The guy, uh, Todd Browning. Yes, Todd yeah. Browning. Thank you. Yes. Did the original Dracula? Correct. Yep. Yes. Um, fantastic. Bella Lugosi Dracula. That's what I meant. Yes. That is considered mm-hmm. to be the original. Um, no, I, I, that movie was kind of, it was, it was good. It was solid, but it was still kind of a miss for me until probably about 10 minutes from the ending. <laughs> the, um, and things just went, holy shit. What the fuck am I watching? <laughs> and it's beautiful. And it's done in under an hour. Oh yeah, it's a it's a it's a, it's a it's quick a movie. Yeah, um, were you watching that in preparation for Nightmare Alley or not? No, actually, okay. uh, I was recommended uh, by our friend um, AJ 
to uh, to watch that. And that sounds about right for him. <laughs> I no, we did we did a night where we swapped movies. I had him watch one, and I told him I would watch one that he recommended. Mm-hmm. And we do that on occasion, uh, just to kind of keep things a little fresh. And he's part part of the reason why I've watched so much horror movie, uh, so many horror movies this year. Um, and it, that's and I'm glad I did. I'm really glad I did because I got through the entirety of the Scream franchise. I got through all of Conjuring, um, caught up with the 2018 Halloween, which I thought was really good, as well as Halloween Kills, uh, Freaks, uh, Southbound. There, there's so many good things out there that I feel that because I am not a fan, I'm actually missing out on some things. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that I did that. And I've been doing the same with your stuff too. I know. I finally got the speed racer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then you move quickly on. I know it wasn't a big thing. No, I, I thought it was beautiful. I thought that it was a very stylistic film. Mm-hmm. Um, I also watched Sky Captain, also very stylistic, very diesel punk. Um, <laughs> and you hate Zack Snyder. And yet Zack Snyder takes a lot of his influence from diesel punk, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he does nothing with it. Um, <laughs> this, I think... Uh, th- that's a that's a discussion <laughs> for, for another, another time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, number seven was uh, "Cruel Intentions." Okay. As last year, for the first time, I actually watched "Dangerous Liaisons," um, which I fucking blew me away. I think I was sending you videos, going, mm-hmm. "When can I be old enough to play Glenn Close's character? Because <laughs> she's a fucking queen. I love her so much." Um, so I decided to sit down and watch the '90s updated version when you know the 90s updated all shakespeare and all classics mm-hmm. um and i did cruel intentions with ryan Philippi, sarah michelle geller christine brinsky and reese witherspoon notice how i put uh christine brinsky before reese oh yeah. <laughs> reese does a wonderful job being exactly who she is mm-hmm. um but no sarah michelle geller really standout performance in this movie um just completely different from her character of Buffy Summers. In fact, this is Buffy on Faith steroids. Yeah, this is the anti-Buffy. <laughs> this is Faith, pretty much, yeah. Um, she's confident. She's sexy. She's proud of that. Yeah, she's got her problems, and she's likes to cause drama. But, um, no, there was, a, there was a moment where she gives a speech about how women are if it's considered if you're considered to be um confident or proud of your sexuality then you're a slut and a bitch but you know people like Reese Witherspoon who uh uh Reese Witherspoon's character who is very innocent very traditional old money kind of Jackie O is held on a pedestal for being silent mm. and being cheerful all the time um and i really like that because it speaks to me in 2022 as a modern viewer even though the movie was made 20 years ago or more um and so i really loved what they did with that update um and number six was the apartment uh, I love Billy Wilder's mm. movies. I always have ever since I saw Double Indemnity. Speaking of Double Indemnity, Fred McMurray back again. Yep. Um, Shirley MacLaine. Yes. Uh, oh my God. I'm I'm blanking on uh, Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon. Yeah, Jack Lemon. <laughs> <laughs> no, Shirley MacLaine's fantastic in this mm-hmm. movie. I'm so used to her, you know, playing these kind of goofy. Um, 
kind of childlike characters, uh, with the exception of her small stint on Downton Abbey, (laughs) where she played the American version of Maggie Smith. And (laughs) watching those two go to war was absolutely hilarious. Um, But no, here in the apartment, um, I felt for her. Because she is a character who is constantly just taken advantage of. Um, And it it feels real because um, some women do have, and yes, I'm being severe on my own sex, but I can tell when people are bullshit. Um, But no, her, her character is very much a, I am loved by the person who takes me for granted and I completely always forget about the person who is the kindest to me. It's kind of like the nice guy finishes last scenario. Um, uh, Jack Lemon is so good in this role. And you can tell he is just head over heels for this woman and loves her for who she is, broken and all. Mm-hmm. And Fred McMurray married, just having an affair with her, but she just can't get enough of it. Yeah. Of being treated, it's yeah. You, it's you understand what I'm film. getting? It's yeah. a dark film. It's dark for uh, the 1960s. Holy yeah. shit! Yes, <laughs> but but it's 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 one of my favorite Billy Wilder films. I, I can understand why it's it's so layered. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that was my honorable mention. Okay. List. <laughs> Sorry, I talked. <laughs> That's okay. I'll I'll take uh, up the mantle here and go with my number five. Okay, go for uh, it. Discovery this year was. The 1948 uh, noir film, I Love Trouble. Not remade <laughs> as the, um, uh, in the 90s with Nick Nolte. Um, but this one stars Franchot Tone as a detective who's hired by a wealthy man to look into his wife's background because it's kind of mysterious. And she needs to, uh, he needs to find out about it. Um, it's based on a short story by uh, Roy Higgins, who also did the screenplay here. And then Roy Higgins took this character. They remade this movie once more, I think. And then they turned it, took the character and made him the central uh, figure in the 60s TV series 77 Sunset Strip. Okay. So technically 77 Sunset Strip is kind of a <laughs> spin-off of the movie or you could say it was, you know, a spin-off from the original short story, however you want to look at it. But it was is a really great little tidy detective story and Franco Tone's uh just wonderful in it. So I would recommend that. All right. My number 5 was Viva Sevi, um the 1962 uh, Jean-Luc Godard film with the great Anna Karenina. Mm. Uh, and I, I really love this movie about a woman who um, in Paris is just kind of down on her luck and she keeps trying to find ways to, to make money and just try to, to, to live a life. But she adores, she adores to be adored by men. Um, and it kind of abruptly ends for her at one point where um, she ends up for a while being a prostitute on the streets of Paris and uh, she gets into a car with a man and he tries to sell her he takes her to a spot and tries to sell her to another man and when she tries to make a run for it they kill her 
Um, and it was, it was kind of a weird, um, and, and I kind of, I hated it and I loved it at the exact same time <laughs> because it, it was so different from some of the other work I've seen by Goddard. Um, I've kind of come to terms with, after watching Breathless, that maybe, uh, Maybe his main character always ends up dead, uh, but because <laughs> contempt also. Mm -hmm. um, but there was something that I felt was more real. It, it didn't feel like she was being punished for anything. It was just it could have happened to anyone. Um, like whereas cruelty it, of randomness, kind of yeah. In um. In Breathless, it feels like your main character, um, which I can't remember the gentleman's name. He passed away this year. Yes. I, you know, I know who I'm talking mean, about. Yes. Yeah. yeah um, he's. It feels like he's getting his just dues for the crime that he committed. Um, in Contempt, uh, Bridget Bardot and, uh, oh, God, he used to live in Hazleton. Uh, Jack Palance. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and Jack Palance did not live in Hazleton. He lived in Latimer's, Latimer's Mines. I'm sorry. And I knew you would understand ghost, the reference. His though. ghost will come back and haunt you for saying he lived in Hazleton. <laughs> he was very particular about and very proud about living uh, and coming from Latimer's Mines. Okay, I'm sorry. So. I apologize, but I knew you would understand the reference. Um, and um, Jack Palance uh, die in a car crash at the end of the movie, and it feels like that's you know their comeuppance for having an affair. Mm -hmm. um, but here, it does feel like it's random. And it's it's a little different than the rest of Goddard's um, filmography, so uh, I would go and check it out if you have the chance. Okay, my number four is the animated film The Plague Dogs from nineteen eighty two. I remember you talking to me about that Ooh, one. This you is okay? it's a good film, but man, if you're a dog lover, it's a little traumatic at points. Um, worse, uh, better, or worse than Old Yeller? Um. Is it like the Watership Down for dogs? It's the Watership Down for dogs. Oh. I think it's based on a book by the same guy who wrote Watership Down, too. Oh, no. Um, I'm sorry. It's about two dogs in Scotland who escape from an animal research facility and are basically on the run through the highlands trying to avoid uh, humans who want to recapture them. Okay. Well, um, um, John Hurt voices one of the two dogs. Well, considering uh, what just recently happened in Danville two days uh, ago. Yes. If, yeah. If you haven't seen the the national media, because we made the national news. Oh, shit. Yeah, um, there was a um, a truck that was driving through Danville, Pennsylvania and crashed. And four monkeys that were on their way to a research lab got loose. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, they caught three of them last night and they euthanized them. Yeah. Well, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised either, but I, uh, it is kind of heartbreaking. Interestingly, too, um, towards the end of Plague Dogs, when the army shows up and is running around, you hear like one one colonel say something. And I was like, holy shit, that sounds like a young Patrick Stewart. And it was a young <laughs> Patrick Stewart. Uh, this was like 1982. So I think... I think he had done I Claudius by then um, for Probably. PBS Masterpiece, but he hadn't kind of broken out big here in the U.S. Until like the 90s, right? 80, 88 when yeah. um, Star Trek Next Generation came out. I mean, he was still two two years away from doing Dune for David Lynch. That was 90? I thought that was early. 88. Oh, it was 88. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was fun too, just to kind of catch that voice there and like oh, two lines of dialogue or whatever he had there. <laughs> um, but it, I, it was one I knew, knew I needed to catch up with and I'm glad I did. 
I'm probably not going to go back to it unless I need to for something I'm writing about. It I'm just like, hurt you too much. It, yeah, it's kind of, Do you need Kenobi cuddles? I need I need to you know visit our friend's dog for yeah some cuddle time. Well, for until you're and able it's his to birthday get day two today. I so. know. Yeah. Well, until you get there, you'll have to deal with Arthur Snuggles. Ah, uh, that's fine too. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, your number four, four uh, was uh, Julie Andrews, Victor Victoria. Oh, yeah. It was a good choice. Good choice. Um, it was one good of the. Discovery. It was one of the few movies this year for me that uh, I gave five stars to. Um, it is a perfect movie all the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic performance from Julie, and it really kind of transcends um, the gay community of that time into this time. Uh, it's it's held up with a modicum of respect from those within, whereas those without just kind of make fun of it um and she kind of challenges well what what is so wrong about me being a man and being a female impersonator when it's actually a woman pretending to be be a man man pretending a female female impersonator yeah um and it, it was just a level of meta that every lie and every facade is has respect which I hate to say it because people do respect his comedies. I don't think Blake Edwards has a lot of respect at, in some of his films for women. Yeah. Um, you know, they're often very much either the butt of the joke or they're objects. Mm-hmm. So that he displays a certain subtlety and depth and empathy in this film does raise it above a lot of his other stuff. And it is very surprising. And I, I do like that about the film. Um and it was also a, a, a Julie Andrews performance. I'm so used to seeing her in very dignified roles um, <laughs> that watching her debase herself to pay her rent and get a meatball by having sex with her landlord at the beginning of this movie was one of those, hmm, <laughs> interesting moments. You need to see SOB then. I've heard. <laughs> we I, will watch that at some point this year. <laughs> okay. my uh, Moving along to my number three. Um 1945's The Pride of the Marines, starring uh, John Garfield as um, a Philadelphia guy who, after the attack on Pearl Harbor, he does his patriotic duty, signs up, and uh, goes to war, fights in the South Pacific, comes back home, um, not not the same way he left. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an interesting film because it it's like one of the first to really deal with things like the returning vet, post-traumatic stress disorder, things like that. I mean, everybody talks about best years of our lives, which does do that as well. But I think this film kind of gives it a little bit more of a psychological take. And, uh, um, and there's also some great Philadelphia shooting locations. Um, if you watch this movie, you'll realize that in the – Next 70 years from when they shot it to now, um, 30th Street Station has not changed a single thing <laughs> inside <laughs> it. Um, yeah. except maybe the uh, the the to- the board there where they let you know when when the trains are arriving and departing. Um, the there's a neighborhood that they show as like where he lives with his friend and his wife, and in the shot, you can make out. 
the cross street, so I did look it up on Google Earth. Of course you did. And it looks almost exactly the same today, (laughs) or at least whenever the Google Earth car was last there. Well, I've told you, Philadelphia holds its history, and they're very proud of it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I I think we hold our history a little bit better on the East Coast than from what I understand, like in Los Angeles and things like that. They're uh, constantly tearing down. I mean, New York does tear down stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But- I would say you could find probably more easily find a lot of filming locations from films in the 40s, 50s, and 60s that were filmed in New York versus what you can find from 40s, 50s, 60s that were shot in L.A. I would agree. Um, my number three was Fight Club. Oh, interesting. Um, as I, As I've said, it is a film that's still kind of – it raises eyebrows about masculinity, um, where it is also held up on a pedestal. Um, so I, I really like how the discussion for this movie is still as relevant today as it was 20, 20, 23 years ago. Um, and one of the things I, I had included on the list for me. Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that's still kind of a sting here earlier this week with Meatloaf's passing. Yeah, and um, I I think his performance in that movie is something I've never seen him do before. Or since. No, no. and it's and, it's just so beautifully done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's weird, because I was thinking about some of his other performances this week. Obviously, everybody thinks of Eddie and Rocky Horror. Yeah. But I was thinking of something like in Roadie. Um, where he's basically a bus driver for a rock band. Yeah. And Spice World, where he's basically <laughs> bus driver, bus driver for a band, band. <laughs> for a pop band. And and in my mind, those two characters are the exact same character. It's one big, giant, weird cinematic universe. Uh, I'm okay with that. It, it means Spice World is canon somewhere, uh, or something else is canon in Spice World. Um, but no, here his it's very it's a very layered performance Mm -hmm. um and it affects those around him so beautifully that it's it's worth talking about and your number three um was pride of the yankees remember i went first on this thing so my number two number two sorry is 1940s the mortal storm stars margaret sullivan jimmy stewart frank morgan it's set in um germany as the rise of Nazism is starting to happen. And it's a Margaret Sullivan is um, very much in love with this one guy who very much is in love with Adolf Hitler oh, <laughs> as, as the movie, as the movie kind of goes along. And um, Jimmy Stewart's like their American friend who is attending the university. Frank, of course Morgan, he's playing an American. Frank Morgan <laughs> is playing her father. Um, <gasps> And it becomes very much of like, um, well, you can't speak out against their Fuhrer. You know, you've seen, if you've seen like a lot of film from like 1941, 40, 42, 43 in there, um, uh, it's, it's, it's a similar kind of um, uh, story, similar kind of world. Uh, but this was very super, super well done. It's very effective. And it's one of the earlier kind of warning about what's up with Nazi Germany films. Um, uh, Benita Grainville is in it, uh, who's also in another type of, uh, another film of this type called Hitler's Children, which I just actually rewatched recently because I picked it up on that last, uh, 
Warner Archive sale they had last March. And that's a film that I, I really like for whatever reason. I've seen it like three or four times now. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great warning film about creeping fascism. Yeah. And, uh, and I, it comes to an exciting and thrilling, uh, bit of a thriller climax to it. And I would recommend it next time you see it pop up on, uh, Turner Classics. Will do. Number two for you. Citizen Kane. That's right. You have gotten around to finally to seeing Citizen Kane. I Kate. fucking finally saw it. Yeah. <laughs> the greatest film ever made. And it's still only number two on your list. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, from a filmmaking standpoint, this movie is dynamite. Mm. It just, it fills every sense. Um, and to, to think that a lot of, the techniques that they used then uh, were revolutionary and still are utilized now. And it's, it, it blew my mind watching that movie and Orson Welles performance through, through it. Um, he's very good at growing old <laughs> and being able to play this person through, you know, 40 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I just, I loved it. And the, and the thing is, is it is not a movie I will watch all that often. But if need be, I will be turning on that movie for technical aspects of film itself. I don't think really the performances outside of Orson Welles are, you know, as dynamite as the filmmaking of this movie. Um, and the writing of this movie. So it, it's it's something that I will probably refer back to more for examples of things. May, may I also say the makeup in this movie is The, the makeup is fucking incredible. I it's think I insane. said that coming out of the theater, didn't yeah. I? Where I was like the old age. And that's the thing is it's not just the actor's performance of being able to play through 40 years. Um, the old age makeup on this movie this this came out what 1941 42 41 oh my god yeah it's insane to me that that movie didn't win all the oscars but then again there's a whole thing with randolph hearst and yeah jerk (laughs) not surprised um but 80 years and that old age makeup holds fast and for anyone who is not as familiar with black and white movies as in general. Um, it is a lot harder to do makeup in or costuming for black and white movies mm-hmm. um, because you can get too dark and then it just all shows up black or you can get too light and it all just shows up white. It doesn't show up at all. Um, so the fact that they were able to get the the coloring and the texture just right. The 80 years after this movie has come out, it's still as flawless as, you know, turning on Endgame and seeing uh, Chris Evans and old age makeup is just, it baffles me. Okay. My number one discovery this year. All right. 1972, The Hot Rock. Starring okay. Robert Redford and George Siegel. Um, it's a caper film. It's based on a Donald Westlake novel, um, <laughs> which was like part of a series about this character that Redford plays. Basically, he's a jewel thief. And he gets a band together, organizes this big heist 
in a museum to steal this huge diamond. And they get it. <laughs> and then through a series of um, unfortunate incidences, shall we say, uh, they lose it. He has to steal it again. And then he has to steal it again. <laughs> it's. I was it's, hoping you were going to say that they find out the goddamn thing's a fake and it still no, gets stolen no, no, no. and they have to steal it back just no. for, you know, per, principle's sake. <laughs> no, no, no. Nothing we should like write that. that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but but the fact that, you know, they kind of have to do this like three or four times, it, it was just like, oh, this is delightful. It's a wonderful little movie. Um, I can't remember where I saw it and I do apologize. I think think it was on uh, Criterion at some point uh, this past year. And it was it was so fun. I was just like, wow, what a great little movie that, you know, you talk to film nerds who like, you know, specialize in 60s and 70s films. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, oh, that's fantastic. But it's kind of not known outside of those circles. And I really wish more people knew about it. Uh, and I would definitely say, you know, if you see it, you know, make sure this thing is on your radar. So when you do see it pop up, watch it. It's right. two hours of delight. I will. All right. And my number one uh, discovery for this year was Roxanne. The you did Steve not Martin? see that. No, <laughs> the Steve Martin film? Yes. Wow. You did not see that coming, did no, you? No, <laughs> but I'm, I like it. That's a great discovery. Thank you. Um, I Steve Martin, Daryl Hannah do some beautiful work in this film. Um, it's a delightful little romantic comedy um, as a, mo- a modern, in the 80s, uh, take on the traditional um, uh, play Cyrano de Bergerac. Um, and... It's just beautiful. I think uh, Steve Martin does some work here with playing with emotions that I've not seen him do in anything else. Mm-hmm. I kind of get used to either seeing him incredibly serious or incredibly comedic. Frantic. Yeah. <laughs> Jacques Cousteau. Um, but seeing him right in the center between those two to be incredibly relatable. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's your traditional story about the, the oddball who doesn't fit in, in society, um, because of a, a physical disablement, um, and is constantly made fun of, obviously has to have a thick skin, but also everyone sort of respects him. And once they get past the fact that he has that, he's nothing more than an equal to them. Mm -hmm. Um, but also doomed to never have the one woman he loves because of how he looks. Um, it's kind of like a weird Beauty and the Beast story. Um, but imagine your beast not with the hard exterior, but uses comedy as a defense. And the sequence, there's a sequence in a bar where someone calls him Big Nose. And <laughs> he comes up he's like that's the best you could do and rattles off 20 different other really good remarks about a nose and the fact that he categorizes each one (laughs) before Mm -hmm. listing it off and then when the person gets physically violent he just tkos him (laughs) yep (laughs) oh my god that sequence is another one that just brings me unbridled joy that i constantly have to turn it on when I need to pick me up but I would I would definitely say if you're looking for something light something fun something that'll just 
make you feel all the emotions and still be uplifting at the end, go check out Roxanne. Okay, definitely. And that is our 2021 year in review. So I think that about wraps us up for this week. Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com and we are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there, search and hit subscribe. And if you like what you're listening to, please leave a positive review because that always helps us connect with new listeners. Now, we're going to take a couple of weeks off. Thank Um, you. Natasha has the play to prepare (laughs) for. I have um, Oscar season to start to prepare for, uh, both on the site and for the show. And we'll be back on Monday, February 8th. (laughs) My butt's wiggling. I'm so happy. (laughs) I see the chair wobbling, and I'm afraid it's going to break. Wow. No, not that. It's not that big. I'm not saying that because. uh. (laughs) Anyways, as I was saying, February 8th, Monday. We'll be back because that's the day they announce the Academy Award nominations. And we'll be back with our reactions to those nominations and some initial first thoughts uh, as we dive deep into a very long um, uh, award season this year. And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. Where any office boy or young mechanic can be a panic with just a good-looking pan. And any shop girl can be a top girl if she pleases the tired businessman. Hooray for Hollywood! You may be homely in your neighborhood. To be an actor, see Mr. Factor, you make your kisser look good. Hooray for Hollywood!